know what all their costs are going to be, whether it's interest, taxes, homeowners insurance, repairs, do your due diligence and make sure that you have the requisite reserves in the bank to weather the storm in case God forbid anything happens. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes a free service. Here comes a free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714 I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you got 500 units or even a handful of units, go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into that fluffy stuff. With us today, Ben Shavitz. How you doing, Ben? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Ben. He is the Senior Vice President of Loan Production at Patch of Land. He's got over 13 years of experience managing sales and customer acquisition in real estate lending organizations. He's got his MBA in finance from Cal State Northridge, and he's based in sunny Los Angeles, California. With that being said, Ben, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? I grew up in a real estate family in Silicon Valley. My dad's been a real estate broker since the 60s, and my mom worked as a real estate agent for Coldwell Banker for almost 30 years. So I grew up sitting in open houses and learning from my parents kind of the tricks of the trade and just kind of fell in love with real estate from an early age. After college, after moving to Hawaii for a brief stint to just chill out for a while, I got my real estate license and immediately just dove right into it. I started working for Bank of America. As a loan originator back in 2004, I worked there for seven years, worked my way up the corporate ladder there, and then I worked for another public entity, one of the largest lenders in the country for seven years after that, and I decided to switch over to private lending, and I've been with Patch of Land for almost a year and a half now. What's your responsibility with Patch of Land? So I run the entire sales organization, so I am responsible for 
running sales team. I go to conferences all around the country, including yours in Denver just a month or so ago. I deal with new product launches, guidelines, processes and procedures. So pretty much jack of all trades, but mainly focusing on increasing loan production and customer service. And how long have you been at Patch of Land? Almost a year and a half. Okay, a year and a half. When you arrived to today, what have been the best ways to increase the loan production and customer service? When I got there, Patch of Land was really still a startup. I had three loan officers when I came on board. We've now grown to 11, so we've almost quadrupled in just a year. And loan production has grown just as quickly along with that. One of the ways that I felt was the best way to grow production was really training. It's all about the customer. The customer has to trust what you're doing and has to have faith that you have their best interest at heart. So I really feel that that is the heart of sales, and I think that that's critical to building a long-lasting relationship, and that's really what we're trying to do at Patch of Land. We're not looking for the one-off deal. We're looking to build lifelong customers. So I really feel that training the existing staff and also bringing on seasoned real estate lending pros was the best way to grow the business. And then also traveling around the country, like I said, to conferences and really establishing the face-to-face relationships with real estate investors around the country. When you're at a conference, perhaps there are other lenders that do similar things. How do you differentiate what you all do compared to others? Yeah, there's plenty of lenders out there, that's for sure. You can see that at any conference you go to. We all have fairly similar programs and fairly similar rates. Again, I go back to the trust factor and just the confidence that you're going to close the deal, whether your interest rate is going to be a quarter percent higher or lower, you're going to charge a half a point more or less. As a real estate investor myself, I think what's more important to me is trusting that the person I'm working with has my best interest at heart and that I have confidence in them that they're going to get the deal closed. So that's how I try to differentiate myself. I look people in the eye and I tell them, look, I'm going to do what I say I can do. And if I can't do something, I'm going to tell you straight up, I'm not going to string you along and give you maybes for a week. And I really try to be as transparent as possible in an industry that sometimes have a stigma associated with having a lack of transparency. That's really how we try to differentiate ourselves from the competition. And knowing some of those guidelines as far as, hey, this isn't going to work or this isn't going to work, what are some common reasons why when you initially look at a loan package, why it wouldn't work? What comes up most frequently? Experience is big for us. That being said, we do work with first-timers. Profitability of the project. A lot of times we'll see a deal where somebody's purchasing a property just to use easy numbers for $100,000. They've got twenty-five k of rehab. And then when you add in the carrying costs and things like that, even though the ARV might be 175000 by the time they're done with their interest payments and sales commissions to realtors and things like that, the deal really has no profitability. So even though we could do a loan and we can earn a commission on that, we really try to help guide our real estate investors and say, look, you know, there's not a lot of profitability in this deal and it's probably not in your best interest to move forward. And then ultimately we leave the decision up to them. But that's one of the things that comes up quite a bit is that there's not a lot of profitability in the deal. There's also markets where the average days on market might be 180 to 200 days. So in the unfortunate event of default, we do have to look at the liquidity of the property in a foreclosure scenario. Other than that, we are a pretty flexible company in terms of underwriting. We try to underwrite from a make sense sort of perspective. And even with first-time investors, if they have good credit and the deal makes sense, we might require a little bit of larger down payment, but we're still willing to work with them. And as far as the make sense scenario, 
what's a typical loan terms that you all provide? Generally, with the purchase and rehab loan, we're going to do anywhere from 75 to 85% of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab funds. So if we have an experienced customer that's done more than five flips in the last three years, and it's in a good market, a liquid market with a lot of good comps, and we feel that the borrower is getting into a successful project, we're almost always going to lend 80 to 85% of the purchase price and 100% of the rehab funds. I want to take a step back. Both of your parents were real estate agents for decades. You started as a, you got your real estate license. Why not go down that path? It was kind of just about the opportunities available. I felt that I was in a situation where I wanted to start earning immediately and becoming a realtor can sometimes be somewhat of a long process in terms of when you can start earning. Also, no one wants, well, not no one, but I personally, I didn't want to do exactly what my parents did. I had an interest in real estate, but I kind of wanted to do something a little bit differently. I had a mentor of mine who knew the branch manager at the Bank of America location where I started. Mm -hmm. And I went and interviewed and I really liked the atmosphere and the environment and the people that were working there. And so I started there and gave it a shot and I just loved it. Now I want to transition back to the present. You'd mentioned earlier the confidence of closing being key, and that really is. I interviewed someone who I believe you met at the conference, Mark Massia. His company has a little over $500 million in assets. He primarily does medical and retail. And I interviewed him episode 599, and he talked about a deal where he went with a different lender that he was used to, it came down to closing, they backed out, and he was out not only, I think, $200,000, $250,000 worth of earnest money and due diligence costs, but also he wasn't able to close the deal because they went with someone else or something happened where he lost the deal entirely. And that's Armageddon for a real estate investor. So is that something that you heard of or do people come to you all after something like that has happened? Yeah, we get people that come to us because their current lender fell through all the time. And if it's a reputable lender, I'll say to myself, well, why didn't the lender <laughs> close, right? Was there a good reason? Or a lot of times we'll get people that came from a conventional lender and they were buying an investment property through a conventional lender and it came down to it right to the closing and their debt to income ratio went up for whatever reason and they weren't able to close or some of their funds were coming from gift funds or whatever it is. I mean, the conventional lending world is very, very strict. I spent a decade and a half in there, so I know exactly what that's all about. So we do get some people that come to us where their deal fell apart at the last minute and that's where we can really provide a really valuable service because I mean, we've closed loans in as little as three days. Our average turn time is probably about seven to 10 days. But yeah, we get people who come to us all the time and say another lender couldn't close. And I have to admit that I am a bit skeptical at first. And that's mm -hmm. why I'll really take a deep dive into the deal with my head of underwriting, who's been in the business for 35 years. And if it looks like it was an error on the lender's part, then we're absolutely willing to move forward. If it looks like it was a reputable lender and they found something that if we found it, we wouldn't lend either, then obviously we're going to take the proper course of action to protect ourselves and our investors. You mentioned earlier training's a key component to increasing loan production and having quality customer service. What type of training do you all do? We do a weekly call monitoring call where I take my entire sales team that's in the local office and then my external loan officers as well, and we listen to phone calls. We listen to good calls. We listen to bad calls. We make sure that every lead is given the same consideration regardless of the lead source. 
every lead is valuable. You never know who you're talking to on the phone, regardless of how they may sound or where they're from or their experience or anything like that. We try to treat everybody with the same level of respect. And as I said before, we're trying to earn lifelong customers and referrals, and that's the way to do it. So we do a lot of call monitoring, and that's really what I've found in my entire career to be the most effective form of training. Oh, yeah. That's case studies every single week. What are some opportunities for improvement that you typically find in a quote-unquote bad call? I think a lot of times loan officers will hear one thing and they'll immediately assume there's not a deal there. So a guy will say, oh, yeah, we don't lend on, for example, a mental health facility or a gas station or some kind of off-the-beaten-path commercial property. And they'll go, yeah, sorry, we don't lend on that. Thanks so much for calling Patch of Land. Goodbye. And it's like, you know, when I get a sales call like that, I say, yeah, you know, I'm sorry, we don't lend on that type of asset. What else are you working on? Mm. Because a lot of times a guy will come to you with a property that you can't finance, but he might be working on another deal or another five deals that you can finance, or he might have a brother or a cousin or a friend or a parent that does have a deal that you can work on. So I think that giving every call the opportunity is really key because if you shut a call off too quickly, number one, they're not going to think very highly and your brand isn't going to get built in the way that you want. It's not going to get the proper respect throughout the real estate community. And number two, there might be a deal there. That's a tip for every real estate investor that is working with someone who calls them. And if there's not an opportunity on the face or on the surface, then perhaps asking a couple right questions and probing a little bit beneath the surface. What I tell my guys is you're salespeople. You're not order takers. Anybody can take orders. Anybody can say, Mm. okay, what's your project? Yeah. Oh, it's a, a hospital. I can't do it. Okay, bye. But that's not sales. <laughs> sales is probing and building a rapport with the customer and finding out what the entirety of their involvement is with real estate investing. And most people, if you dig a little bit deeper, there's something that you can help them with or there's something you can help them with in the future. Do you have a built-in component that generates word-of-mouth referrals or a way to get the word out from existing clients or customers? We do, from time to time, offer referral programs. We'll do like a monthly special, like, hey, if you refer somebody, you'll get the appraisal fee waived from your next deal and things like that. Other than that, from word of mouth, it's really, as you probably know, traveling the conference circuit is really the best way in terms of building the brand, I feel, for us. I mean, we're at three to four conferences a month, and I really feel that that's the best way to build the brand. Obviously, taking care of customers and getting their deals closed is the best publicity you can possibly do. And I believe it's 67% of our customers repeat and the average repeat customer repeats four times per year. It's a pretty incredible stat. And it just goes to show that you treat customers the right way and you keep your word that they're going to come back again and again. What's your conversation like at a conference with someone? How do you approach that? Whether it's a broker or a borrower, I'm going to go back to this again and again. I look them in the face and I tell them, listen, what I'm telling you is the way it is. You're going to talk to 10 lenders today, but I want you to know that when you speak to me, the thing that I'm telling you is the truth. And when you email me, I'm going to email you back in five minutes. I'm going to answer your phone call when you call. And if I can't, I'll get back to you as soon as possible. My first manager, when I worked in conventional lending, he had three rules to being a successful salesperson. Treat people the way you want to be treated, under-promise and over-deliver, and return calls promptly. And I've honestly lived my entire career by those three rules, and it hasn't failed me yet. 
three golden rules, really, and they can see how they would make sense. What about emails? Same thing with emails? Absolutely. I'm on my email from literally 5.30 a.m. till 11.30 p.m. What would you rather do? Would you rather pay 9% and never be able to get a hold of your guy and not know if you're closing and get nervous about your transaction? Or would you rather pay nine and a quarter or nine and a half? and be able to get a hold of your guy 24 hours a day and have great confidence that he's taking care of you. And he understands that there's other people on the other side of the transaction. It's not just his commission. Mm -hmm. There's actual people with earnest money deposits down, and there's realtors depending on the commission. And it's not all about the salesperson. There's a whole community out there that's depending on the transaction to close. Oh, absolutely. That is one of the top three to five characteristics that I must have in a business partner is being able to communicate with them quickly and get in touch with them quickly. My business partner and I are really good at that with each other and then also with our investors. And I've had business partners, not from a as high degree of a business partner I have with Frank, my current one, but in certain deals or one-off things. And it's just terrible when you can't get in touch with someone you need to. And as you said, earnest money's going hard and you got all these other things because it's not a paint-by-numbers approach when you close a deal. There's all sorts of left and right turns, and you've got to be able to communicate to make sure that everyone's moving in the same direction. Yeah, agreed. And I really think that's true in any business, but I really feel that it's especially true in real estate where they've paid for an appraisal, they have an earnest money deposit down. I really feel that it's critical to be totally transparent with whoever you're dealing with. Based on your experience in real estate and on the lending side, what is your best advice ever for real estate investors? My best advice ever for real estate investors would be to not chase a trend. I think that if you're chasing hot markets, if you find out that a market's hot, it might be too late already. And also to not overextend yourself. Make sure that you have 12 months of reserves in the bank in case something happens with your job or with another investment going bad. I feel that overextending yourself is probably the worst thing that any real estate investor can do. So I would really caution people to Know what all their costs are going to be, whether it's interest, taxes, homeowners insurance, repairs. Do your due diligence and make sure that you have the requisite reserves in the bank to weather the storm in case, God forbid, anything happens. On the don't chase a trend thing, the first deal I bought with my business partner is a 250 unit in Houston, and it was in August of 2015 in the headlines at the time, every news organization, every newspaper was talking about how oil was never going to come back. If you're in the oil industry or if you're in Houston or anywhere near it, or even if you have a relative in Houston, you're going to be in trouble. And we closed on that deal in August of 2015 when nobody else was buying there at all. And we bought it for $14.1 million, put in $2 million, last December, so about 16 months later, it appraised for over $21 million. And that's because a lot of variables, but one of the main variables is we were contrarian investors. We invested in Houston at a time when every single news channel was saying oil will never come back. My first real estate investment is a little bit of a different story. I made the mistake of chasing a trend. I was very young and I just started making some money and downtown LA was exploding. And I bought a new construction condominium with Huge HOA fees and a mortgage at six and five eighths percent amortized over <laughs> 30 years. And it was a mistake. If you chase a trend like that, you know, everyone says, oh, this area is blowing up. This area is blowing up. The people that are telling you that got in way before you did. And it's probably too late. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, conversely, I can tell you two deals that have not gone that direction with some single-family home stuff. But this interview is about you, not me, Ben. So <laughs> you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's do it. First, though, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30 minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Ready to enter the minds of successful entrepreneurs and millionaires? Are you ready to excel in your entrepreneurial and investing journey? The new podcast, Before the Millions, studies phenomenal entrepreneurs and their path to millions. Journey through exclusive interviews, giving you all the secrets to mimic their successes. Listen and subscribe to Before the Millions podcast at beforethemillions.com. That's beforethemillions.com. Ben, what's the best ever book you've read? One of my favorite books of all time that I read was by Russell Simmons, music mogul and an entrepreneur. It's called Do You. It teaches you that you don't need to take a traditional path to wealth. And it also teaches you to stick to your ethics and morals and basically treat people the way that you want to be treated and you'll be successful. Best ever deal you've done either with Patch of Land or personally? I invested in some rental properties, multifamilies, in a college town in Texas. And I feel like investing in college towns Which one? Uh, is a really... It was in Texas Tech. I can't remember the name of it. Lubbock. Lubbock. That's where I went to school. No way. Yeah, I'm a Red Raider. That's awesome. Yeah, we back in 2004 or five, we invested in a couple pretty inexpensive rental properties there. We fixed them up a little bit, rented them out for a couple years, and made a pretty nice little profit. Sweet. How'd you hear about those properties? A friend of mine who worked in my office, he was checking out some college towns. We looked at a few different ones, and then we decided on that, and it ended up being a really good decision. Sweet. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I like to mentor young real estate entrepreneurs, whether it's people who are investing in properties or people who want to get into the lending business or property management or any aspect of real estate. I like to speak to the younger people, the next generation of real estate investors and just kind of teach them what I've learned, whether it was from good experiences or bad. Speaking of bad experiences, what's a mistake you've made on a deal? I will refer back to my previous story about <laughs> a condo in downtown LA. I feel like I chased the trend and I made a mistake and I think that people should really focus on stable markets, not on sugar spike markets. And where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you, Ben? They can call us at Patch of Land. They can go to our website, patchofland.com. We actually have a special landing page just for this. You can go to patchofland.com slash best ever. Our phone number is right there on our website. They can give us a call. And we've got a team of 10 loan officers there that'll handle the requests pretty much 24 hours a day. Well, Ben, thank you for being on the show. I love talking sales with you and the primary way that you have grown the business. You mentioned a handful, but one of them is training and having one tactical thing, the weekly call monitoring, where basically you're doing case studies, real life case studies. And one of the lessons learned within that is 
if you hear one thing, don't assume it's not a deal. You want to ask another question, a follow-up question. Holy cow, is that applicable to everyone who's taking leads via phone call? So every fix and flipper on this call who has a motivated seller, non-motivated seller, even better, what other opportunities do they possess that maybe they don't even know about? So asking them the right questions. And then also the three rules to sales that you shared earlier, your mentor shared with you that you've adhered to. One, treat others like you want to be treated, under promise, over deliver, and return calls and emails promptly, especially if you're on email as frequently as you are firing away. So thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, and lastly, don't chase a trend. That's a big one too, where we don't follow the shiny object, but we want to... Yeah, absolutely. And just before we close out, I just wanted to give the phone number. Embarrassingly, I did have to log onto our website. (laughs) It's 888-959-1465, and you'll get one of our friendly loan officers on the phone. Yeah, and one thing I noticed is when you call that number, it says this call will be recorded. So they tell you that it's going to be recorded, which is appreciated. And that's as funny. I called earlier because we had some tech issues earlier. And I called and was like, this is being recorded. I was like, oh, I haven't heard that in a while. And now it all comes full circle because I see what you do with these calls. So thanks so much for being on the show. hope you have a best ever day, Ben, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks so much, Joe. I really appreciate it. Ready to enter the minds of successful entrepreneurs and millionaires? Are you ready to excel in your entrepreneurial and investing journey? The new podcast, Before the Millions, studies phenomenal entrepreneurs and their path to millions. Journey through exclusive interviews, giving you all the secrets to mimic their successes. Listen and subscribe to Before the Millions podcast at beforethemillions.com. That's beforethemillions.com.